Take your Bibles. For the second time, we're ending the Understanding God series. This was a series that ended before I went to South Asia. and But on that trip, God was working in my heart. I had a message halfway planned, halfway prepared for this Sunday before ever going on the trip. But God got me on that trip. God reminded me of what happened here on the last Sunday of that series and what you said about yourself and what was going on in your story. And it just would not let that go away. And let me just tell you about our trip real quickly. It was an incredible trip to South Asia, and we can't give the exact name of the place on on podcast and all that kind of stuff, but we were able to hike in the foothills of the Himalayas and able to go from village to village, and literally villages perched on sides of mountains, and we walked from, uh, from one to the next, and I have never been to a place where I've experienced more or fewer people who knew even the name of Jesus than that place. It was an incredible time. Five, six of us guys went there, and you'll see some of the guys out in the gallery. They all got matching dudes going and getting matching T-shirts over in South Asia. They're North Face T-shirts. You'll understand when you see them. You'll see them in the gallery after this service. So just hang out. Ask them. Here's what you ask them. Give me your 30 seconds. What was the life-changing experience that happened to you in 30 seconds? How did God speak to you in 30 seconds? But here's what was happening. I've never been here before. I've never been to this place, and literally we had to depend on our guides. They would drive us as far as the road would go. We would get out of our trucks, and then we would start walking. We might walk for several miles up and down through the mountains and just literally go from village to village, just looking for people to, to uh, people of peace, people that we could share the gospel with, people that we could love on people that we could pray for. It was, again, an incredible journey for us and really stepping by step into unknown places. Uh, And that's what God has called us to from time to time, to just get out of the comfort zone and to step into the unknown. That's what it means to walk by faith. And if you learned anything from Habakkuk, the most quoted verse in Habakkuk throughout the scriptures is the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, where he tells us that the righteous shall live by his faith. And that is the quote that's used in Romans, Hebrews, it's quoted again in Galatians. That's what Paul anchors a lot of the gospel uh, message of book of Romans to, is that the righteous people live by faith. It is a key concept in the book of Habakkuk, into understanding God. The fact is, is that we're not always going to be able to understand God, but are we going to still walk with God? Are we going to be able to have to have all of our ducks in a row and have the full picture? Are we willing to step into the unknown and be able to step by step into the unknown and walk with him? So here's what was the linchpin in the whole journey of coming back to this topic one more time. is because last Sunday that we were together, we talked about the land in between. I did not realize that so many of us, when we talk about the land in between, we're kind of talking about the people of Israel and how they were stuck in bondage and brokenness of Egypt and how God was setting them free to go to the land of promise. What should have been a four-week journey for them ended up to 40-year journey for them. And in that whole journey with them, they landed in the land in between. But as you can see, the Nile Valley is very fertile. Promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey is very fertile. But then there's the land in between. And the land in between can be hard. It can be difficult. It can be dry. It can be barren. 
And in that land, in between 72% of you, this is what shocked me, 72% of you said, I feel like I'm living in the land in between. I'm not in brokenness and bondage anymore, but I'm neither am I living in the land flowing with milk and honey. The land of promise. I'm somewhere in the middle. You took this survey. It was a live survey. You filled it out on your phones. And this is pretty much where we landed. 72% said that they enter in that land in between. And so this has been haunting. I don't know. Disturbing. I don't know. It's been something that God has just kind of kept on my heart as I continue to read through the, the historical uh, period that Habakkuk, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah. And here's what I want us to remember from that last message is that in the land in between, between between promise and brokenness it is fertile land for learning to trust god it's not the promised land of land flow but it's neither brokenness but i'm somewhere stuck in the middle maybe you're stuck maybe you're in the messy middle and you're there and it's at that point that i have to learn to trust but it is fertile ground for that if we are willing to go there Again, the righteous will live by faith. So how do you step by step walk through the land of the unknown? Now, for the last week, we have our journals out here, and you can grab them during our response time or after our gathering. After this week, they're going to go away, but they're there for you. And I want you to be journaling, writing, questioning, recording things that God is saying to you in this land in between because He can say incredible things about our life. Well, in this journey, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah in my own personal times with God. Jeremiah and Habakkuk were contemporaries. So literally, when I'm reading Habakkuk, I'm reading the same story. Maybe they were even friends. I don't know. We have no connection of that. But then you've got the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of the two. They were walking. They were prophesying. They were, they were living with God. They were, they were living among the, the, the Judean people at the same period of time. So, again, we're kind of reading the two things. And in the journey of me reading through the Scriptures, I realized that even Jeremiah was living in this land in between. There was a time in Jeremiah 29 when we read this passage, is probably the most quoted verse in all of the book of Jeremiah, is, is Jeremiah 29, is that when 70 years are completed in ba- for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you, my promise, land of promise. I'm going to get there. It's going to take 70 years. Sorry, I can't set the time on that. It's going to take 70 years and I will bring you back to this place. For I, here's the favorite verse that everybody reads Jeremiah. They claim it as their verse, but they got to realize you have to go through the land in between before you can get there. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Everybody that I know will always camp on this. I know the plans I have for you. I want one of future. I want one of hope. That's the promise that God is given to Jeremiah. But he's going to have to spend some time, some season in that messy middle, in that process that he's going to have to get there because here's what we want is we want the product and we are instant people we got amazon prime to get the thing there to us tomorrow 
We, we, we want our instant coffee and we want our instant entertainment. We like everything at the snap of a finger. But God sometimes builds out a process and the process is just as important as the product. We want the product called promised land. That's what we want. And God has offered it to us. He offered it to Jeremiah. He offers it to the people of Israel. Moses heard that. But... God must first take us through the pathway called process. And if we're not willing to go through the process, we may never experience the product. Are we willing to trust Him, to walk with Him, to go into the unknown and to deal with that? We want the product now. We want it now, but God wants to put us through a process. So let's look at Jeremiah as he's struggling with God in this season. Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12. um, Be finding that in your your Bibles or scrolling to it on your phones or whatever the case may be. The words will appear on the screen for most of the passage today. But in Jeremiah chapter 12 is where we kind of launch into this. And I, I want to point out to you as we quickly fly through 12 is that he's struggling with God. But God is okay with the struggle. I want you to hear that. God's okay with us struggling and God's okay with us even complaining. Now, we can point to Scripture whenever the complaining goes too far, but God wants an authentic relationship with us because we find in Jeremiah 12, 1, He says, He was complaining. When I complain to you, I, God, I'm struggling with this. Write it in your journal. God, I have questions about this. Write it down. Let God know where you're struggling. And this is where he comes out and he tells where his struggle is. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why is it that the bad guy wins? Why is it that the bad guy is getting the promotion? Why is it that that guy, that lady, why, why is that happening for them? And man, I'm over here suffering through this. This is the same question that Asaph and uh, Psalm 73 ask. This is the same question that Habakkuk and Habakkuk 1.3 ask. This is the same question that every great believer that's ever walked with God has experienced is this tension of God, why? And what are we going to do to fix this, God? Or what are you going to do if you're the all-powerful God that you are? See what has happened in chapter 11 of Jeremiah. He's been struggling because there are people out to get Jeremiah. He is speaking truth. He is being, he's got death threats on him in chapter 11, 18 to 23. He's got blackmail on him. I mean, they are working their, as best they can to take Jeremiah down. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1, he goes into complaining to God. God, why is this that you're allowing the bad guy to win? And then God gives his response. And his response is one of the memory verses that I've memorized a long time ago. And it's just one of those where God kind of in, in a reprimanding kind of way asks two rhetorical questions. He says, if you've raced with the runners and they've worn you out, how will you compete with horses? If you stumble in the peaceful land, what will you do in the thickets of the Jordan? See, what God does sometimes is he puts us in these situations that are tough and difficult and sour and, and bitter and, and difficult to live with 
Because he's actually preparing us for what's next. In essence, what he's saying, he says, I'm sending you through this tough time in Judah because you don't know how bad it's going to be in Babylon. You think it's bad now? Again, we've said this in the series before. We said this in the series is that, that sometimes the cure is worse than the symptom or the problem. And so God's going to send him through some dark times, but it's only to make him stronger. See, God's going to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. That's the process. But if we're not willing to walk with God through the process, we may not get the product on the backside. Are we willing to go there? Jeremiah 13. Skip to that. Now we're going to get the second response where in this passage, he kind of uses a metaphor of a loincloth. We'll break that down in a minute. Let's begin reading. I want to read the whole context of it from verse 1 to verse 11. Thus says the Lord uh, to me. Again, God's still speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah and God are having this conversation. Thus the Lord says to me. I want you to circle, underline, highlight the number of times that God speaks to Jeremiah as Jeremiah has spoken to God. God wants to talk with us, all right? He wants to communicate with us. He does it right here. The Lord, uh, uh, and, and thus says the Lord to me, go and buy a linen loincloth. Put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist and the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Okay, notice that second time. Take the loincloth that you that you bought, and, uh, and, and which is around your waist, and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the cleft of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, and the Lord commanded me. This is the third time He has spoken to him, because He did what He did, was supposed to do, did what He was supposed to do, and now the Lord's going to speak to him a third time. But it's going to be many days. The Lord said to me, Arise and go to Euphrates and take from there the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. And then I went to the Euphrates and dug and I took the loincloth from the place where I had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled and it was good for nothing. This, everything that I just read to you right there is God working in Jeremiah so that he can work through Jeremiah. All right? It's a process. That's the process. The second section here is the product. He gets a message from God. This loincloth, this soiled, dirty, disintegrated loincloth becomes an object lesson in his message. Verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, Even so I will spoil the pride of Judah, the great pride of Jerusalem, This evil people and refuse to hear my words who stubbornly follow their own hearts and have gone after their own gods to serve them and worship them. Shall we be like the loincloth, which is good for nothing? The second time he makes that statement. So when you tell somebody they're good for nothing, tell them the Bible says it, you're good for nothing. Uh, For the loincloth clings to the waist of a man. So I made the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be uh, for me a people, a name, a praise, a glory, but but they would not listen. Now, 
As you read this, it's a lot about a loincloth, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and a lot about dirty loincloths, and a lot about hiking to to the Euphrates. But what I want you to see, there is the focus of this is the message that he has for the people. That's the product. We're not going to talk about the product anymore. Because I don't want us to miss the process. And the process is in the very first part of these verses, and that's where I think we can get our application today in learning how to walk with God in the process of Him giving us direction in the unknown, in the, in the darkness, in the land in between. And how do I still walk with God in the midst of this and, and be willing to go there? Because the next step that I take is going to be the next step that God can begin to work in me and speak to me. So let's look at these three steps. And you see them. Three steps, they coincide with the three times that God spoke. Three steps coincide with three times that God spoke. And notice this, every time that God spoke, there was an appropriate response from Jeremiah, and then God would speak again. All right? Very key, very critical to this. But here's number one step, is that God will may be unconventional. It may not be the blueprint that you thought it was going to be. It may not be the five-year plan that you mapped out. It may not be exactly what you thought. What are you supposed to do with this? Step outside the box. When God begins to move and it's in a way that you don't understand it, what are you to do with it? It's not fitting into your schema. It's not fitting into your plan. It's not fitting into your design. What are you to do? Step outside and go with God. Get outside of your box, get outside of your comfort zone, and let Him begin to work. Remember, we read this in the series, uh, Proverbs 3 5. We're not to lean on our own understanding. Our own understanding is conventional wisdom. Our understanding is our pathways, our five year plan, is our desires. And sometimes it's, it's where we think God is about. But what does He say prior to that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in obedience. Trust in obedience. Trust in obedience. They go hand in hand together. If I really trust God, I'm really going to obey God. And I'm really not obeying God unless I'm trusting God. You cannot separate out the two. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on the way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I grew up singing that song. But the reality is I might sing it on Sunday, but do I live it on Monday? And if I am not willing to go with God as he gives his speaks to me, then I don't know that I'm quite there. Go back to our passage, chapter 13, verse 1 and 2. And the, thus says the Lord to me. Thus says the Lord to me. His big question is, God, why are you letting the bad guys win? Thus the Lord says to me, go buy some underwear. That's basically what he said. Go buy some underwear because that's exactly what it was. The loincloth went underneath your clothes. The only other time you find this in Scripture, this word loincloth, is you find it in the the book of Genesis whenever Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed and they sinned. And what did they do? They went and clothed themselves with a loincloth. 
The first thing they put on was their underwear. This was what he basically told him to go and buy. Go and put it on. I just have one clarifying question. Boxers or briefs? I don't know. The linen loincloth and put it around your waist and do not dip it in water. Notice the appropriate response. So I bought a loincloth according to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. I think it's interesting that Jeremiah points out that I did exactly what God told me to do because otherwise I would not have done that. That doesn't answer my question, God. I got real issues with the people here. I got real issues. I got real questions. I got real pain. And you're telling me to go buy a loincloth and to not get it wet and to put it around me. So I did exactly what the Lord said. There's going to be times that God's wisdom and God's direction will be so unconventional. The only thing I can say is step outside the box and go with it. When Abraham had waited 90 plus years for his one son, Sarah and Abram were waiting and waiting and hearing chapter after chapter, promise after promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to have a son. He's coming. And chapter after chapter, it doesn't happen. And finally it happens. And He's 99 and she's 90 and they have this baby. It's a baby boy. It's Isaac. It's all wonderful and good. And then God turns around and says, now take that one son and go put him on the altar. How unconventional is that? God tested Abram, it said. And he said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. One on the mountains in which I shall tell you. Which I shall tell you. You're not there yet. You just have to walk. You have to get there. And he does. And you know the rest of the story. If you don't, go read uh, Genesis 22. Because he doesn't actually offer his... He does offer his son, but God does not force him to do what he thought he was going to do. Unconventional wisdom? Absolutely. Did he do it anyway? Yes, he did. Even he put his children on the altar. We make our children the center of the universe. No wonder they think that they're demigods in our society. God's work in Job was another incredible story. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I mean, he had it all. He was a godly man. He had it all. He lost it all. But the great thing is, is he gets it all back. (laughs) Not only back once, back two times over. That's what it says in the last chapter of, of Job 42, verse 10. It says, Then the Lord restored the fortunes of Job twice as much. Okay, That's good for Job, right? But why, God, did you send him through all the pain, through the valley of the shadow of death? Why did you send him through all the questioning? Why did you send him through those sorry friends that he had that that, that, that continued to to, to bombard him, blaming him? There's so many things that you just want to ask God. Why? Why did you do that, God? Why? 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 Look at the last words of Job. Go to verse 5. The whole last entry into his journal, prayer journal, is from verse 1 to verse 5. But just go to verse 5. And notice what it says in the New Living Translation of Job 42. It says, I had only heard about you before, but now I've seen you with my eyes. 
See, what had happened in Job's life is God was maybe a theory. God was a good Bible study. God was a good, uh, maybe God to worship and, and honor with his life. But it, but it was all at an arm's length. But now what Job had experienced actually brought him to experience God at a deeper level. God may send you through a Job life experience so that you will not just hear of God, but as you will see God in your life. What is it that he's leading you to? If it's outside the conventional wisdom, if outside of tradition, you might want to take that step if God has given that to you. The second thing, again, putting on a loincloth, buying a loincloth, not getting it wet, there's all kinds of issues with that. Two-day-old underwear is no good for anybody. Num- number number two, let's go there. God may come God's will may come in pixels. Don't wait for the whole picture. Pixels, little squares that make up frames, that make up more frames. Pixels, according to Wikipedia, and everything on Wikipedia is right, right? And so it says this, the smallest controllable element of a picture represented on the screen is what a pixel is. Whenever you think about your, your iPhones, if you have an iPhone 10, I looked it up, there are 2,436 pixels up and down and across side to side, there's 1,125 pixels. You don't look at the little individual pixels, you look at a picture of a whole and you see the whole picture. But the problem is in life, sometimes all you get are pixels. Little pieces. You don't get the whole thing. And so what are you going to do whenever you don't have the whole thing? You might turn around and ask God, how? How? How are you going to do this? How is this going to happen? What's, what, and really, what we need to be asking is, what, what are you wanting me to do, God? Not how, because we may not know the how. We've just got to obey the next step in obedience. You don't get the next step in obedience until you've done the last step that God gave you. I want you to hear that. You don't get the next step until you've done the last instruction by God. You see it exactly that way in this writing. Chapter 4, or verse 4 and 5 He had the loincloth in hand, and now God's word comes to him again. The word, the Lord came to me a second time. Take the loincloth that you brought, that you bought, which is around your waist, and arise and go to Euphrates and hide it there in the cleft of the rock. Again, not making sense, God. I'm not, this is not registering with me. I can't put this all together. I'm not getting the full picture. You're telling me to buy underwear. Don't wash it because you can't get it wet. And now you want me to wear it. And he's in Jerusalem. He has to go to the Euphrates, which is no less than 350 miles. And now I'm going to take this dirty, soiled linen cloth and I'm going to hike in it. That doesn't make sense, God. God's not always going to make sense. But what I've got to do is I've got to know him enough and trust him enough that I'm going to obey the last thing he told me to do. Whenever you think about generosity, 
Some people say, man, if I just made more, then I'd give more or I'd give. Listen, my friends, you need to give right where you're at, right here today in obedience because the, the what you're looking for in the future, the will of God that you're looking for in the future, until you obey the last thing he told you to do, don't expect him to give you the next thing. You, 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 you want to see the next generation's life change? You want to see our, your, your children's life change? Maybe God has challenged you and you need to invest in the next generation. And maybe, maybe I haven't obeyed back here and therefore I can't walk with God there. You find this whenever Jeremiah gets the loincloth and now he has to hike 350 miles to do What? to bury it in the cleft of the rock. What a waste of money, right? Doesn't make sense. What are you doing? What are you up to, God? Listen, this is just how God works. He gives us what He can trust us with, and when we obey Him in that, then He can give us more. Abram was the same way. When God called Abraham, He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to take you from the, this land, but He didn't tell him where He's going. He said, to a land, I will show you. To a land, I will show you. He does the same thing with Joshua. Joshua becomes the leader of the people of Israel after, after Moses. And what does he say? Three different times in chapter 1 of Joshua. You've got to be strong and courageous. You've got to be strong and courageous. You've got to be strong and courageous. And you know what? He had to be strong and courageous. He had to lead the people up to the edge of the Jordan River that was swelling over with, with, with a flood. And he had to step out into the unknown. Are you willing to step into the unknown? The prostitute Rahab, who was housing two spies in the wall of Jericho, becomes protected whenever the Israelites come in because she protected them. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know what the next step was. She just knew the step was at that point to protect these guys, get them out of here safely, and then what? God would provide the next thing. And she becomes rescued and thank God for that because from the line of Rahab the harlot comes a man named Jesus Christ. Thank God that she took the next step of obedience. Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. He didn't know what the future held. He just knew he needed to build the wall. That was all that God had called him to do. He was being summoned off the wall. Come off the wall. Let's go over here and talk. Come off the wall. And what does he say? Hand me another brick. I'm not coming down. I'm doing a good work. What is the last thing God told you to do? And are you willing to do it? Are you willing to step out into the unknown? I want us to read together Proverbs 4.17. Actually, 4.18 is what it is. 418 says the path of the righteous. Actually, it's not going to be on the screen. I thought it was. Here he goes. The path of the righteous. Jot it down. Proverbs 418. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. The path is the next step that you're supposed to take. When I was 24 years old, which was a number of years ago, just accepted a church in uh, northeast Arkansas, was back here in northwest Arkansas visiting family. And God put on my heart. I can remember where I was at my in-law's house in their backyard on a starry night. And I can remember praying, God, would you lead me? Would you lead our family 
back to Northwest Arkansas. I had a burden, I had a passion. I even had a plan. God, here's what you could do to get me back to here. Now, was it just wanting to come home? I don't know. Was it a passion, a burden? I don't know. It was something back then that just said this yearning and this calling to, to come back and to pastor here in Northwest Arkansas. I'm pastoring over a brand new church in Northeast Arkansas. And so how is this too going to reconcile itself? Again, I'm 24, 25. At 27, God leads us clearly, and Lori and I have no doubts about it, to Southern Africa to live. Wait, there's a long ways between Northeast Arkansas and Southern Africa and Northwest Arkansas. God, you're leading us the wrong way. You're leading us there. But I tell people this often. God had to take us there so that at 32, he could bring us here. I just say this. At 24, my prayer was this. It would be eight years later before it became a reality. And I didn't know that it would ever become a reality. But the point is, is that I just had to obey God at the steps that were in front of me and walk with him in that day, in that hour, in that moment. So what is it that God is leading you to? And are you willing to take the next step and wait for the picture to become clear as you walk with him? Number three, God's will will change you. You will be changed. So be adaptable. Be adaptable. I wanted to point out the process, not the product. The product is the message he's going to give to the people. The process is that he continually heard from God and said yes to God. Heard from God, responded to God appropriately. Heard from God, did what God said, the last thing he said for him to do. And he speaks to him again. And in verse 6, it says it like this. And after many days, the Lord said to me, go to the Euphrates. I've already been to the Euphrates, God. Yes, I already buried that underwear there. It's still there. Yes, I believe it is. And so why you want me to go another 350 miles back to there? He didn't tell him why. He just told him what. Sometimes you don't get the why, you get the what. So he goes back and he takes the loincloth that I commanded you to hide there. And then he went to the Euphrates and he dug it up the loincloth from the place where he had hidden it. And behold, the loincloth was spoiled. It was good for nothing. What God did with that was he created an object lesson that he would turn around to the people and he would say that this loincloth is like you guys. You're good for nothing because of the sin, because of the hardness, because you won't listen to God. And he literally used it. But you know what he had to do? He had to bury it in the ground. Why do you have to bury it in the ground? Because it had to decompose. I looked up, how long does it take cotton to decompose? Thank God he didn't give him a Fuji bottle of water. That takes 250 years to decompose. It takes about six months for cotton to decompose underground. So it took six months for this cloth to go not only filthy dirty, but also decompose for him to go to the people and be able to hold it up. The process produce the product of a message. But if Jeremiah had not taken the next step and the next step and the next step of obedience, he would have missed it. He would have missed the message. He would have missed the product. God is at work in you. 
and he wants to work through you. But if we won't let him work in us, he won't be able to work through us. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The beauty of God's work in us is that He is continuing to chip away. He's continuing to melt us down. He's continuing to knock off some rough edges. He's continuing to direct us. He's continuing to make us sweeter. He's continuing to make us more holy, more like Him. He's going to continue it. Let Him do His work. I want to close with the question today. There's lots of questions I wanted to close with, but this is the one I'm landing on. What was the last thing that God told you to do that you haven't done? And if you read on, why didn't why did this message become so important to them? Because it says in verse 11, not only does it say that they were good for nothing, but it also says the reason. Because they wouldn't listen. It also says in the other verses, because of the stubbornness of their hearts. So my question to you, what was the last thing God told you to do that you haven't done? You've been holding back, fighting it, running from it. My challenge to you today is to stop. We have a good, good father and he's wanting to steer you, guide you, move you. He's not going to always give you the whole picture but you're just going to have to walk by faith wherever that is. And maybe it is grabbing one of these journals and starting to write out, God, the last thing you told me to do, start the sentence there. And you're going to spend the next two songs as we worship and we sing, that you're going to spend the next two songs and you're just going to let these words be sung over you and you're going to just meet you and God. There's going to be some prayer partners around the room. Some of our deacons, pastors will be around the room. You just be free to go to them and say, hey, I need prayer in this area of my life. Father God, you know who we are. You know where we are. You know what's going on in our hearts and our minds. And Lord, you know the last thing that we were told to do that maybe we haven't done. Or maybe we're in those that period of obedience, but yet there's a long period of silence. And God, we need to listen. And we just need to say yes. So right now, you finish this prayer time. With your head bowed, everyone praying across this room, ask God this question. Is there anything outstanding that you've asked me and I have not done? Maybe it's to forgive and you're holding on. Maybe it's to be reconciled and you're refusing. Maybe it's to to make that big move. And to make that big move requires big faith and you're not quite there. Just take the next step. Prayer partners will be in place. You can go to them. 
You can sit down. You can stand and sing. You can grab a journal. You can begin writing. This is your space, your time. Let's stand together.